The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Telling it as it is, this is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And g'day, wherever you happen to be in the world, lots going on. And just quickly touching what I heard during the news, I can't believe that Tucker Carlson was surprised that the US government was spying on him. They're spying on anybody and everybody, and uh, not just in their own country, of course, overseas. We already know that they have access to your mobile phones. And for those of you thinking that they just hack into the phones, oh, no, 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 I guarantee you that the companies hand over the keys to the kingdom. Because how do I know this? As an internet provider, as early as the late 1990s, we were required as internet providers to do some IP interception. And that was software provided by the government that we had to install on our servers so they could keep an eye on whatever it was that you did. Now, whilst I was just getting started in internet at the time, I told them, oh, well, I'm not actually providing internet. I'm using a third party company, which was true. But it was only partly true because most of it came through my own server. So no, I wasn't going to do that to the people who use my company and I was required to do so. I didn't do it. And I'm quite happy to say that I didn't. I can tell you that that was a legal uh, requirement at the time and most other big companies did. And that was back in 1999. I guarantee they've got their act together now. So if you think anything that you do on your computer uh, that goes via the internet is private, then you're kidding yourself. I would also argue for those of you and... Uh, it's a bit, you know, contentious, a VPN. Many people feel like they're very um, well covered. They're very well protected when using a VPN. I would argue if that was the case, most of the, these companies would, again, be handing the keys to the kingdom over. Uh, a sense of false security for those of you thinking that your data is encrypted. I can't imagine that is the case. The company I use is called uh, Private Internet Access. And what they uh, say is that if your logs are pulled up, they are unable to provide them because they don't keep logs. So they wouldn't know who is on that particular IP address at any given time. I don't know if I believe that. I don't do anything illegal. So I'm not really that fussed, but I, I still use a VPN anyway. And why wouldn't you? But uh, just something that you might want to have a think about. Uh, we're going to be talking to Craig Kelly today. Lots to talk about with him, uh, including the Reckless Renewables Rally. I had a bunch of friends that went down to Canberra for their first sitting day yesterday. Uh, a few thousand people rocked up, not quite as many as they probably hoped for. But then again, it was Canberra. Who wants to go to Canberra? And it was midweek, almost midweek. So uh, again, we'll find out. But a lot of really big names got up to have a chat there, including Pauline Hanson, uh, Craig Kelly himself. Malcolm Roberts would have been there as well. I'll be talking to him tomorrow and uh, we'll find out what was discussed. And uh, But lots to talk about there, as well as with Craig Kelly. I'll be talking about Stephen Miles, the Queensland Premier. He thinks it's funny. He thinks youth crime, when you even mention it, he gets the chuckles, Charlie Chucklehead, we'll call him, and he's not the uh, sharpest tool in the shed. In fact, he, he really is starting to make his predecessor look quite good, and that takes a fair bit of effort, uh, one might imagine. But uh, he thought it was funny when asked about a particular youth crime issue. I would argue Queensland, or Australia for the most part, doesn't have a youth crime problem. What we have is a migration crime problem. Because if you have a look at most of the people that are uh, committing these crimes, these gangs, 
Um, well, you make your own mind up. I, I think you'll get the gist of where I'm going with that. And of course, we'll discuss that with Craig Kelly, lots of other things as well. And of course, we're going to be talking about uh, with David McBride, Major David McBride. We'll be having a chat with him a little bit later as well. And that's going to be about what uh, one Mr. Ben Robert Smith, um, of course, he's going to be appealing that court case and uh, his barrister making some pretty good points, if you ask me. And of course, we'll find out, but very hard to tell what happened over there. It's more a matter of he said, they said, and I don't know if we'll ever get to the actual truth of that. So I say when you don't really know and you can't prove one way or another, probably give somebody the benefit of the doubt, but maybe that's just me. Ireland, as somebody who uh, had a Scottish father and always loved the Scottish accent, I couldn't quite figure out why I never really got on or had the same opinions as Scottish people, but got on like a house on fire with people from Ireland, always, without exception. And it was only um, not long after, well, before, I should say, my grandfather passed that we had a conversation where he told me he was born in Ireland. And I actually look, the only person I look like in my family is my dad's father. So there you go. So I would consider myself to be of Irish dissent and it especially upsets me when you read the headline Ireland has fallen Leo Varadka who I can't believe knowing so many Irish people they would ever ever have elected but we know how the party system works and how they push their pick to the top and you just get a, a very small selection uh, a very finite group to choose from well he had a bit of a public consultation about these hate laws let's ask the people what they think so they did that they were having a bit of a lend, I think, because 70% of those people said, we don't want your damned hate laws. Stick them where the sun don't shine, Leo. That's what they said. But guess what Leo said? Leo said, we're going to push ahead anyway. When he was asked at a press conference, well, why would you have asked? Why would you have had this public consultation if you completely were going to ignore the people anyway? He then suggested a couple of wonderful things. Uh, one of them <laughs> And you can't make this stuff up. One of them was that there are groups who infiltrate this process and get the result that they want. I would suggest that happens typically of the left. And they would have been busy. They would have been busy. They would have been getting emailed and text message, go on to this particular site and say this, or, you know, you know what, you know, we, we know what side of the argument you're going to end up on. But when it happens and it goes the way of the conservatives, or in this case, the general public, he doesn't like that. He also went on to say that once you elect us, well, we're pretty much going to do what we like. And uh, there you go. I wonder what his husband, Dr. Matthew Barrett, would say, Leo. I wonder, because I'll tell you what, the Irish people, they're getting fed up. They're not going to take it anymore. And if there's one group, there's one group in, in anywhere in Europe that's going to kick off, it's really not going to stand for what you're dishing out. And just to give you an idea of how bad these hate laws are. So you're walking down the street. The police pull you up, they check out your phone, you've got a meme, a meme, right? That would be perfectly legal anywhere. Most of us might even find funny, but if of course it was to suggest, uh, you know, something, for example, that uh, Leo Varadka wouldn't like, maybe it was anti-gay or something, because he is. Um, guess what? If that is considered to be a hateful thing, you could actually go to jail just for having the meme, not for, not for writing the meme, not for creating it, not for spreading it, just for having it on your phone, you cannot make this stuff up. But I'll make Leo Varadka, he's going to push forward. 70% of the Irish don't want it. Uh, you can almost guarantee he won't be doing another term. But uh, because it's a duopoly, will these laws that will, I suggest, be put into place, will they be repealed by a subsequent government? And whilst you might think the answer would be yes, 
Who knows? Because I say that yeah, typically these days it's one group pretending to be two. I think it's absolutely ludicrous. And if it's going to happen and could happen in Ireland, then I would suggest that could happen absolutely anywhere in the world. Now, here at TNT, we never go home. We're committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24-7 online globally, no matter what. And we've got you covered here at today's News Talk, TNT. Talk that matters. For once, we just need to do what's best for the same country and not what's best for the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It is at this point that I get to cross to the wonderful Gemma Cooper. Sorry, I went a little bit long there, but... uh. I was a bit um, worked up on that particular issue. I cannot believe that, you know, things such as our freedom of speech are now gone in countries that I thought they would never go in, such as Ireland, Gemma. Well, absolutely. And of course, we talk about parallels and lockstep. And in the UK, we've got the online harms bill, the online safety bill that's gone through. And that's, you know, all dressed up with uh, protecting kids from what you can see online. Of course, it's not. It's exactly the same as the as the hate bill in Ireland. It's to restrict kind of any kind of thought provoking information. You know, things like memes. They're so common now because they they hit your your psyche in a way that's immediately recognisable. You don't have to wade through acres and acres of of of, of text and words and information to get to what the message is. Um, so there, it's happening everywhere, isn't it? And uh, in in lockstep. But the people of Ireland have spoken. They spoke last year in Dublin when the uh, the, the the stabbing occurred. The the teacher and the two children. Um, it took to the streets to express their frustration, you know. But it's very interesting that they have expressed their frustration on the streets uh, with regard to uh, ostensibly immigration, and they've, they've expressed their frustration in this referendum, in this poll, and still they're not being listened to. It really is kind of two fingers up from the establishment. At like, you know, it's a, it's a it's a window dressing exercise. I will ask you what you think, and then we'll go ahead anyway. It's a classic narcissism, and it's bullying. Actually, it's bullying of, of those in power. Uh, to the to the rest of the population, and that's what bullies do. They abuse their positions of power. It's happening clearly in plain sight uh, in that instance. I think. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I certainly uh, many of the Irish people that I know, I wouldn't like to be the bully who goes up against uh, many of them. They subsequently wouldn't do too well. Uh, Leo Varadka, I think we'll find out imminently that the Irish people are a lot more staunch than he might possibly, in, with his limited intuition, have ever imagined. And uh, a reality is coming his way that he may not be able to uh, cop, let's just say cop. Uh, now, memes are for, you know, they're to make us think, they're not to make us act. But when you take away things that are designed to make you think, people are likely to act. Would you not agree, Gemma? Uh, completely. That's very well put. That is really, I might steal that actually, Dean. Thank you very much. Yeah. They're designed to make you think, not designed to make you act, but take them away and people are likely to act because they're part of the fabric of our culture now. That but the people, you know, especially younger people, I'm really, they love them, don't they? And, and people always say to me, oh, look at this and look at that. And I try not to look at screens, you know, hardly at all if I'm not working. Um, but I understand the power of them. I understand how important they are in our in our language now. It, as, as we progress in our kind of digital age. Yeah, so to take them away, you know, it's very 1984, it's very Orwellian, but people won't people won't have it. They won't have it. And of course, things just go underground. You mean, you know, you talk about being an internet provider, you talk about tech, and there are ways and means that people can communicate away from establishment eyes. You would hope, you would hope. I mean, maybe we'll go back to pen and paper and leafleting and stickers. Who knows? Who knows? Stranger things have happened. I think we're going to have to. I mean, how bad is it that people are going to have to covertly get online. I mean, they're going to have to use a VPN. They're going to have to have a fake um, social media account. Then they're going to have to delete 
delete all of their, you know, their um their information. They're going to have to log out of the VPN, and then they're going to have to um, delete the account off the computer and log back in each and every time. Yes, that might have sounded like an instructional way to do things in Ireland, and possibly it was because uh, that's the way you're going to have to do things under one Mr. Leo Varadka. Anyway, I'm so glad I'm not there and I'm here. I can't believe that after the last four years that we went through. Uh, what have you got for us happening over there at the moment, Jim? What? It's very interesting, actually, hearing you talk about, you're going to talk about crime with Craig Kelly there, because this is a story about good old London and, and the levels of crime, but it's not knife crime, um, but it's really affecting us on a global scale. This story has come to my attention this morning. There's currently a big uh, trade agreement uh, meeting going on in New Delhi in India, uh, and, and Britain are there because obviously post-Brexit, we are now negotiating all over the world with different countries for trade deals outside of Europe, you know. So and India is one of the, the countries that we are really trying to do business with. So the Shadow Trade Secretary is out in New Delhi at the moment um, negotiating this bilateral trade deal with um, Indian engineering uh, bosses. Um, but they're saying they're really reluctant to do trade with the UK because they're all too frightened to come to London. And this follows a, um, a recent spate of muggings last year in the capital, in Westminster, which is the heart of London. Uh, and it encompasses some of the most prestigious districts of London. You've got the Houses of Parliament, all, all of the kind of tourist spots. And there's been a, a spate of muggings in Mayfair of Indian businessmen, um, chief executives of companies that have come over for, for trade, for business, and they've had their Rolex watches stolen. Now, you would think, oh, this is just one or two. But no, it's a huge amount of Indian business people who do coming to do trade with the UK now we're out of Europe. Um, and they've all had their, their watches stolen. There's been a spate of uh, luxury goods thefts, uh, handbags, mobile phones and watches have been targeted. And the Met Police have confirmed this. They've said, yep, last year, uh, thefts, muggings from a person, thefts from individuals in the street went up by nearly 30%. And mobile phones and watches and handbags were the primary targets. And these gangs, they come up on either uh, small motorbikes that we call mopeds here in the UK, or those e-scooters. I don't know if you have them in, in cities in Australia, you know, oh, yeah, you can kind do. of sign up. Yeah, and so people are getting on the e-scooters, swinging by, and literally cutting people's watches, expensive watches, off their wrists. So this uh, this one Indian engineering entrepreneur started his own company, very successful man, says all CEOs that he knows have had these experiences of mugging in, in the you know the heart of London. Um, it's not some shadowy outpost of Greater London. It's in the heart of London. And um, the worst thing is they've said is the police don't respond. They just don't bother, maybe because they know they're not British nationals and they're going to go back to their own country. Maybe it's because they think, well, these are rich Indian businessmen so they can afford another Rolex or just there's not enough police. Who knows? But it's putting them off doing trade with the UK at a point where we're now globally negotiating with other nations to get trade after coming out of Europe, where we did have a lot of established deals. Um, the Met Police say they acknowledge this. They say they know that last year this this type of crime went up by nearly 30%. They say now they are stepping up their responses to this. It might just be because this story has been brought to light. But uh, officials in the Home Office and the Foreign Office have said that they know this is a problem. And I would wager it probably doesn't just apply to Indian businessmen, business people coming over, rich, rich, rich uh, entrepreneurs and, and tradespeople. It probably applies to other foreign nationals who come to the capital just to do business and end up getting mugged for their luxury goods. So we, uh, well, I thought knife crime was the biggest issue. And, uh, and, and they're not very a fan of Sadiq Khan there in the, in the business world in India. They say he's not doing enough to clean up the city. Um, and, and until it's sorted out, they want to do trade from where they are. They'll do it on Zoom. They don't want to come over to London and meet with trade bosses here.
I can't imagine old mate Sadiq Khan has too many fans out there in general. The Met Police, I mean, how hard is it? Get some undercover um, officers of Indian descent to wear some fake Rolexes, get some people with some road spikes down the road and catch these mongrels. It wouldn't be that difficult to do. But again, as you said, it doesn't look like they're paying it too much attention. And uh, But if it's going to affect uh, big business, down the track, it is something that needs to be hit on the head. I, I say all crime needs to be hit in the head. And if you had some substantial penalties, maybe people wouldn't risk doing them in the first place. Just quickly, Jim, uh, that manhunt that was underway um, for that person over there, the, the migrant, um, has that come to a, a good conclusion yet or are they still on the lookout? They're still on the lookout. The last was that uh, one of the UK's former counterterrorism officers was was under the impression he's either taken his own life or he's being hidden uh, by by a gang uh, of, 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 of foreign nationals here in the UK. Um, that's that's the last update from yesterday. Uh, he's clearly disappeared. So he's he he's either uh, taken his own life or he's being harboured. He may even have been smuggled out of the country. We just don't know. Um, they did, the, the, the counter-terrorism experts and the police thought the most likely um, uh, um, solution was that he had been harboured. Uh, that's why they put up the £20,000 reward because they were hoping that money would be enough to trigger someone with information within those communities to just come forward and say, look, I know where he is. Can I have the money, please? But it's information leading to an arrest, not just a tip-off. So they are keen to catch him. But no, as yet, still no sign of him. Well, I hope they catch him. My bet would be on that he's left the country. It's super easy to get in by the looks of things. So I would imagine it's equally as easy to get out. Let's hope that that does have a, a good conclusion. Gemma, thank you very much. Of course, you'll be back next hour with uh, Sonia Poulton, and I look forward to chatting with you here tomorrow. Thank you, Dean. All right, everyone, stick around. Craig Kelly coming up here at TNT right after this break. TNT's Bruce de Torres. The Who's proposed treaty will increase man-made pandemics by Merrill Nass. Just a minute about this. This report is designed to help readers think about some big topics. How to really prevent pandemics and biological warfare. How to assess proposals by the WHO and its members for responding to pandemics. And whether we can rely on our health officials to navigate these areas in ways that make sense and will help their population. populations. We start with the history of biological arms control and rapidly move to the COVID pandemic, eventually arriving at plans to protect the future. She didn't put protect in quotes, but I just did verbally. World Stage and Bruce de Torres on today's News Talk TNT. <laughs> My baby's back from the West Coast. <laughs> Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. <laughs> so long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And is the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those <laughs> beans smell heavenly. Mm -hmm. Give mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. Okay. 
come to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. If you're still wearing a cloth or a surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Uh, he joins us, Craig Kelly, director of national director of the United Australia Party, all-round good fella, and of course the guy who had your back during the pandemic. Uh, Craig, how are you going? Hey, no, good, great to be a little bit uh, sunburned from yesterday. Now that reckless renewables rally, a bit of climate change. I went out there and sort of was pouring down rain, had an umbrella, mate. I in the car. Then the climate changed and the rain went. And the sun came out. I got a bit burnt on it. So I got told it was a lot sunnier down there than anybody could have predicted. I would have loved to have, have come down there for that, but but I had to do this. I had a a bunch of people. In fact, a couple of uh, uh, you know One Nation candidate friends of mine who I met. You know when we were running against them at the last yeah, election. Good people. Good people. Yeah, they were terrific people, mate. And they they all went down there as well, uh, mate. So we'll get to that a little bit later. This grub, Stephen Miles, and I, you know, like I said, mate, I can't believe the Queensland Premier is so bad. He makes me uh, long for the last, you know, for his predecessor. He is that bad. Uh, they brought up the subject of youth crime, specifically, yeah. read the, the death of Violene White, the 70 year old grandmother who was stabbed to death in front of a six year old grandchild. And his immediate thing, and, and you can't hide your emotions, you know, they come straight to the face. And there he was. Charlie chuckles. There he was, a, a good old, you know, smile, a bit of a laugh, and you could see him. He literally had to teach himself to put bung on a solemn face when he realised how inappropriate it was. Mate, where do you start with him? Well, firstly, I saw this today on the internet, um, and I thought this must, oh, this has to be taken out of context. And surely, like, no, there would be no politician that would actually laugh in a situation like this. Not, not when you've seen such this horrific murder. And not when you've got, you know, this this is this has upset a, a lot of people. You know, there's there's many Australians would have shed a tear over this to think that um, seventy year old grandmother murdered in front of her, her six year old uh, granddaughter. You know, going and she was going shopping to buy a few snacks to go to Bible study classes that night, and she's going wow. to the local shopping centre, and and she 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 stabbed in the heart in front of a six year old um, granddaughter. Um, this is rock society. I said many people shed tears over it, and yet there you had uh, the Premier of the state when asked about the issue of youth crime in an interview break out into laughter. I, 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 I'm, just, I'm just lost for words. This Mate. bloke is clearly clearing up with the job. He, he needs to come out. He hasn't, I don't understand, he hasn't apologised as yet. I don't think so. He needs to come out and make a humble apology, you know, come up, so I misheard the question or something like that, or um, I'm, I'm, I'm deep, you know, he's got, he should be apologising today. But the real shock is, or the real concern, we found out today that when these people committed this murder, when they stabbed this old 70-year-old lady in the heart, they had been released on bail. And we know that Queensland, under the Labor government in Queensland, has introduced weak bail laws that allows people like that to be out on the streets. Now, if you had had strong bail laws, if we had have had strong judges in there, that person, that murderer, would not have been on the street that day. He would have been behind bars. So it is the weak bail laws of this country. It is this feel good, you know, I shall be, you know, we'll look after it, softy, softy, lefty attitude to bail laws and to soft on crime 
is the reason why that grandmother is dead and the entire nation is in mourning today. And that six-year-old girl will never, ever get over that, seeing her grandmother killed before her eyes. Yeah. I, that I, is I the know. consequence. That is the consequence of weak, in, weak on crime and weak on bail laws of all these bloody lefties that get in, getting elected to politics that think they're all wonderful and aren't they wonderful and you know soft and, and lovely people. And of course, that's, mate, that's the consequence. That's the consequences of it. They're very likely to go softer on some groups rather than others. Some people would put it down to a migration issue. Certainly, some would argue that there are some cultures around the world that uh, Australians would probably rather not have here because they come from such violent communities and to transition them en masse to our society is going to cause problems. I mean, I think that ties in with it uh, as well. But, yeah, when you told me off air that those people, you know, should have actually been behind bars, they were on bail, and, again, that woman would be alive had it not been for the weak bail laws. I almost fell off the, the bloody chair, mate. It's just horrific what's happening up in Queensland, and hopefully hopefully, at the next election they make some wise choice and, choices and there are some uh, subsequent changes to address all of this. Well, unfortunately, we've seen the Liberal Party in this issue also be very soft on Right, we need to elect people into into parliament that are going to say, "Look, you know, my job is to look after the the law-abiding citizens of this nation, and if people are going to break the law, if they're going to commit these crimes of violence against others, that they're going to have to pay the penalty." And we've had for too long, we've had this sort of lefty, softy attitude, you know, feel-good attitude. Uh, oh, you know, he must have had a difficult upbringing. Da 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 da. Right. And it is the, you know, in, in Queensland, I was speaking to Queenslanders down there yesterday, at the, and they said they live in fear. They said no longer, it, it is their freedom that has been stolen. They can't now let their grandmothers or their mother or their wife or their daughter go to the shop, local shops by themselves because of fear. Yeah. That is the freedom that, that, that is taking a fundamental freedom of your mother or your grandmother being able to go down to the local shops without fear of being attacked by a gang, an imported gang to this country that doesn't share the values that you know, most of us do in Australia. That is the consequence of the policies of both the Liberal and the Labor Party, and that is why we need real changes and we need to get some people into that parliament, both state and federal, with a backbone that will take these issues on. Wouldn't that be nice? And, of course, it's a double-edged sword. We've got crimes that we couldn't have imagined in this country decades ago, and we've got weaker police and weaker policing, weaker judges and weaker laws. The whole judicial system has gone to water um, than, again, we ever could have imagined. I mean, the whole system is like it's designed for us to fail. It is. Look, it, um, unless we do something about this, this should be a, a, a line in the sand that we say mistakes have been made in the past, as you said, both mistakes in migration, to have large numbers of migrants come into this country that come from that have been brought up in a culture of, of, of warfare. Uh, yes, we'll you know we'll take a, our, our share of refugees, genuine refugees, but we just can't have these rates of of mass migration. You know, something like a, it's now something like one in thirty-two people in the country have migrated to the place in the last twelve months. Wow, that's that's how that's that's how big you know we you know a, a country cannot sustain the rates of migration like we have experienced, not only this year where we've seen record migration, but before COVID also we had very high rates of migration. And things, this is this is a, a, a Ponzi scheme. It's an economic Ponzi scheme so that the politicians can, in camp can go, oh, aren't we wonderful? We've had, uh, you know, rec record economic growth. 
when the economic growth is just making the overall pie bigger because you've got more people. But each person's slice of that pie gets smaller. We are now in a per capita economic recession. We are going backwards as a nation, and that is covered up by the Ponzi scheme of migration. It is destroying, it's destroyed the Australian dream of home ownership for many young people. That pushes people on the other side of the law. If you think, well, you know, what's the point? I can't. No matter how hard I work, no matter how hard I save, I'll never get to own my own house. Why do you think people go into a life of crime? Yeah. And we've got some serious issues in this country and they are all being, all these problems that we've got originate with weak, soft, leftist ideology, which is not only the Labor Party and the Greens, but has also infiltrated the Liberal Party. Yeah, I agree, mate. And it's become so obvious that it is now beyond the joke. Why people are still voting for the duopoly, such an obvious duopoly, is beyond me when they've got such better options, such as, you know, yourself with the United Australia Party, Look, One Nation. Yeah. Why are they still doing it? I don't understand. Look, we're, we're not, United Australia Party is, is not running in the Queensland election. And I hope a lot of uh, the supporters get behind the, the One Nation candidates up there and the other independents and the libertarians, if they're running up there, and, and stays away from the minor parties. The Labor Party deserves to be absolutely smashed for what they have done to that state. Uh, you know, and the Liberals, if the Liberals are going to govern, they need strong independence uh, up there. Uh, you know, it would be great if the independence, you know, conservative-minded, freedom-minded independence could have the balance of power to at least put some steel into the backbone of the Liberals. Yep, mate, I could not agree more. Craig, we've got the uh, news headlines and we'll come back. We'll talk about the uh, reckless renewables rally that happened down in Canberra yesterday. Right here, TNT, after this. Today's News Talk Radio. We, we, we do have some big news. What is it? Yeah, what is it? What is it now? TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Despite the White House's best efforts to stop him, Tucker Carlson has secured an interview with Russian President Vladimir Putin. India's Prime Minister has pledged to make his country's economy the third largest on earth. Argentina is relocating its embassy in Israel to West Jerusalem. And Donald Trump has vowed to appeal a federal court ruling, denying him presidential immunity in a lawsuit accusing him of trying to overturn the 2020 election. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. And welcome back to the program. I made some very good friends at the last federal election and not just from within the party, the United Australia Party that I was running with, but with One Nation as well. And as Craig Kelly suggested up when it comes to the Queensland state election. That's definitely one of the groups that you have to look at first. They are fair income and the candidates are absolutely top notch. All people that if you said to them, why are you doing this? And did you see yourself doing this? No, we're doing it because we feel compelled to do it. That's why they're doing it. They want to give you a valid option to the status quo. And that's why they're there. So please take advantage of these people and by voting for them because they're there for you and you really need to make that move. Uh, I'm talking to National Director of the United Australia Party, Craig Kelly. Craig Kelly, yesterday, the first sitting day back in Canberra, and of course, a very timely rally, the Reckless Renewables Rally. People are just fed, fed up with the, the solar farms, they're set up with the wind farms out on the coast, mate. When does this nonsense stop? Well, firstly, a lot of people protesting there uh, yesterday, it is the first time that they have been involved in a protest. 
because what they are seeing with these uh, renewable projects, you know, or so-called, I shouldn't use the word renewables, they're not renewable. Uh, I'm talking about solar, Chinese solar panels and Chinese wind turbines. These are, these are going to destroy our natural environment. To think that you are going to dump these uh, eyesores off our coast, off that beautiful uh, Nelson's Bay area, and off that beautiful Illawarra escarpment, it's just horrific. And this is done by people who say, oh, we care about the environment. We've got thousands and thousands of hectares of prime koala habitat being destroyed uh, up in Queensland and all that areas of New South Wales. And this is supposedly to help the environment. It is, it, it is, it is beyond insanity. But, that, but where, where, country, where, the, where the real concern I have is, is we are at China, the communist Chinese are international competitors not just economically, but politically, on ideology. The communist Chinese, we saw how COVID, how they treat people, and we think Dan Andrews was bad. The communist Chinese are a level up uh, from that again. We're up against that ideology. We're also up against the Chinese. Their military competitive is ours. That's why we've got in the budget something like $360-something billion for, for sub nuclear submarines. Is because of the military competition that we have against China. And yet everything that we are doing on net zero, Every single thing to net zero gives an economic, political and military advantage to the communist Chinese because they're not saying they're going to go net zero. They're saying, oh, we'll just go to 2050. So if you look at the moment, just to, right now, right, we've got 21 gigawatts worth of uh, electricity capacity, coal-fired power stations in our nation, 21 gigawatts of coal-fired capacity. The Chinese have under construction today, active construction, 132 gigawatts. So they've got six times under construction what we have. Now, where we're planning to close all ours down, right, so we're planning to close that other 21 down. Additionally, China has 255 gigawatts. That's 12 times what we're planning to close down in, in pre-planning and pre-construction. So the idea that we are going to do anything to reduce CO2 emissions by closing down coal-fired power stations is just madness when China are building them 10 to 12 times more than what we are. And yet this is this is the government's plan. And 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 what this, what I was upset about yesterday at that rally, all these liberals and nationals get up there. Now, as much as I'm you no know, reasonable friends with Barnaby Joyce and all those, a lot of the libs, ex-colleagues ex of mine, they go, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible. Hang on a minute. You and the Liberal Party signed this nation up under Scott Morrison to agree to net zero. Now, if you, if, if you Liberals, if you're going to come here on this stage down here in Canberra and say, yeah, you know, you're against all these this reckless renewables and all this environmental damage by these renewables, we'll go back into your party room and show a bit of spite and say, we've got to get rid of net zero. But they won't. They won't. They're, too, they're trying to play this weak, soft game. Uh, the Liberal Party uh, for net zero, I remember the day Scott Morrison walked into that Liberal Party room and I was still there and announced that we were going to net zero. There was no debate. It was the same with Tony Abbott. As much as I love Tony, Tony walked into that party room and said, oh, we've now agreed to the Paris targets of 26 to 28% reduction. So the Liberal Party has been weak. They have been appeasing all these policies and now they come up and make this fluffy noise that they're going to do something about it. Really, it, it's it's an absolute joke. And it really is. I mean, you mentioned Scott Morrison. You mentioned AUKUS in that $300 billion. And, of course, uh, you know, there he is. He waited his 18 months. 
20 months later, he leaves and now he's off to these jobs. He's going to make a fortune out of all these AUKUS money. So don't even get me started on him. Mate, these these uh, wind, you know, these wind generators. I mean, people don't understand how big they are. Um, 200 metres, to put it into perspective, Centrepoint Tower is about 300 metres. So they're two-thirds the height of Centrepoint Tower and they're going to be in the water. They're going to be on the landscape, going to have animals. It's, it's horrific. The other thing um, as well, mate, we just can't afford it. And here we are again. Again, we are one third of 1% of the global population. And boy, are we punching above our weight money-wise when it comes to solving a problem that does not exist. It's going to cost trillions of dollars. We are talking about something else at 10,000 kilometres of high-voltage uh, high cables that those big staunchions that you see have to be cut across the country to connect all these uh, wind farms and solar farms. And remember, at the end of the day, you're still going to have them all backed up. You sort of back them up with something. As we know, you know the, the wind stops blowing and you've got no power. So you've got to back these things up and you've got to back them up. People say, oh, you can have some batteries. But you've got to have your battery backup. You know, battery backup, you've got to have a battery set to the worst possible weather conditions. Now, you can have four or five days in a row where you've got heavily overcast conditions and you've got little or no wind. So that's the amount of battery battery power you've got to back it up for, not just for minutes or seconds like we are at the moment. You've got to have it backed up for, for days. And when you put those costs in, it's, it makes it become the most expensive. We've seen that. Yeah, forget what you know, Blackout Bowen tells us. Go and look at the analysis from the Bank of America who've got some real figures in there. And they show that solar and wind is the most expensive by a long, long shot. And we've got this beautiful coal seam, black coal seam that runs down our eastern seaboard we say Australians can't use it, but it's okay for the communist Chinese to use it. And they're saying, thanks very much. And they're building, you know, as I said, these coal-fired power stations, rolling them out one after the other after the other. And Australians are permitted from using the asset that we are blessed with in our own country. This is the madness that we're up with. And as I said, it's not just Labor, it's not just the Greens, it's not just the Teals. The Liberals have signed up to this as well. That's up to these other minor parties. We've got to get our act together. We've got to work together and we've got to call this out and we've got to try and save this nation from this madness. Mate, I think it's fair to say you are literally saving this country in every way, shape and form, especially uh, the world that our grandkids are going to grow up in. This is probably one of the biggest threats to this country that exists and people don't have any clue how bad it could get. And as you said, it's going to be trillions of dollars. Craig Kelly, mate, thanks for, for keeping us abreast of what's going on. And, of course, we'll talk again next week with any luck and uh, you'll keep us uh, up to date. Thank you. Craig Kelly, everybody, he is the National Director of the United Australia Party, all-round good fella, and the guy who literally saved lives over the last four years. Coming up after the break, I'm going to be talking to Major David McBride, my co-commentator, right here at TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Last week, Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, testified before Congress and talked all about the threat that China poses to us, and it was downright frightening. The CCP's dangerous actions, China's multi-pronged assault on our national and economic security make it the defining threat of our generation. Now, when I described the CCP as a threat to American safety a moment ago, I meant that quite literally. There has been far too little public focus on the fact that PRC hackers are targeting our critical infrastructure. Seemingly everything we need to survive. Our water treatment plants, our electrical grid, 
our oil and natural gas pipelines, our transportation systems, and the risk that poses to every American requires our attention now. And get this, we even have a time frame for this impending disaster. The budgets that emerge from discussions underway now will dictate what kind of resources we have ready in 2027, a year that as this committee knows all too well, the CCP has circled on its calendar. Oh, we have three years to neutralize this existential threat. Don't you feel better? I don't. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday right here on TNT. JDRS's vision is to create a world without type 1 diabetes. The type 1 diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the type 1 diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the type 1 diabetes community. We're energised by the type 1 community and we're accountable to the type 1 diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people and all the organisations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, exciting innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day, until the day we find a cure. To everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. Thank you to everybody who's supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible. Telling it as it is. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program. I heard Dr. Ross Walker talking recently about a, a new innovation when it comes to type 1 diabetes. And instead of people having to inject themselves, they've got these little cells. I don't know what you want to call them, these little things. Apparently, one ten thousandth the width of a human hair that they can take orally. And it stops your pancreas or your liver from being overwhelmed it gets to where it needs to go so apparently the future is bright for type 1 diabetics let's hope that is the case the future is always bright when i get to talk to major david mcbride a man who is not only one of my co-commentators here the man who fills in for me when i'm away and did a ma magnificent job uh, just a couple of weeks ago he's also someone who served in afghanistan as a military lawyer to the royal australian army regiment and australian special forces respectively uh he's also uh, made information on war crimes committed by australian soldiers in afghanistan available to major news organizations so when it comes to talking about Ben Robert Smith and his latest appeal uh, in regards to his defamation case, I can't think of anybody better to speak to than one major, David McBride. G'day, David. How are you going? Yeah, good. Thanks, Dean. It's great to be back on your show. I feel a little bit of almost a uh, little bit of ownership being on your team. <laughs> and um, it's good to be back in the in the team headquarters. I, you, if, you are a part of the team and you're always... Even if I'm the bench warmer. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, hey, David, there is this, mate. You you know, you can do my job. I don't think I, I could do your uh, job, mate, well, without a few go. years uh, at the university. You're, so you're doing pretty you're well. You're very uh, charming. Yeah, well, there's an interesting thing about this appeal. Um, uh, 
I guess most of you know that the um, a lot of um, the law we like to you know people wear wigs and gowns and they um, they have big books in front of them, but a lot of it is not that different from going down the casino, and um, the loser of the case pays the cost for both sides, and this was a case that both sides desperately needed, and it was you don't often get two equal size companies going up against each other. It was a, a legendary case when, um, uh, is it uh, the over the league, the rugby league, where that was sort of like, um, was it, it was Murdoch's uh, versus uh, oh, the Super League back in the Super League, yeah, where they had I wanted all, Super League to win all the heavyweights fighting, um. And very occasionally you get these sort of heavyweights and the legal bills are just out of this world. And so uh, the legal bill um, that Ben Robert Smith uh, will have to pay, but will, will eventually be paid by uh, Kerry Stokes Channel 7, was 30 million bucks. So what you can do, there's quite good value um, in appealing. And an appeal only costs 1 million bucks. And so if he manages to be successful, uh, on this, it, it, it's a very good, uh, very good return for your money if yeah. one million can save you thirty million. So there won't just be this appeal; there's likely to be another appeal. If um, a bit like it reminded me of uh, what they used to say about the America's Cup sailing. You know, it's a bit like watching uh, the grass grow. In that, this appeal is pretty pointy-headed stuff. There's no revelations about. Um, anyone coming out of the woodwork and saying it's not true or whatever. This is a very uh, intelligent lawyer saying uh, the standard of proof applied by the judge wasn't uh, wasn't as serious, wasn't as high as it should have been for such a serious allegation. And um, also uh, the second point is to say, that Ben Robert Smith, um, he couldn't have done it alone. Uh, this is such a big, um, uh, it's such a massive sort of allegation. Uh, he must have had more help um, yeah, to get away with it, I guess. Um, and um, as a commentator has pointed out, it's almost a bit like doubling down because if they, it, it's, arguable that if they lose that appeal, people will say, um, well, uh, he, that, that means the judges have decided it has been proven even under the strong, the highest standard of evidence. And um, and he must have actually had help from the higher command uh, to uh, get away with what he did. I know, I hesitate, that's just this kind of legal reasoning. I know probably a lot of your... Uh, <laughs> I hesitate to go into the lion's there. I imagine a lot of TNT viewers are probably quite sympathetic to Ben Robertson. What I always say is that it's great to be patriotic. It's great to um, support uh, our soldiers, especially our SAS soldiers, as you and I said, you know, if you got kidnapped, if you or I got kidnapped or our sons and daughters and by terrorists and they were held and um, and their lives were on the line, it's not going to be the minister or the general or anyone else or any kind of armchair critic from a major media organisation that's going to kick in the door and save you. It's going to be the SAS. There are people we need. There are very brave people. 
uh, they deserve, they do deserve respect. They do an incredibly hard job. And I I know, and I did a couple of tours of Afghanistan myself in quick succession, and it, it took, it even apart from the danger, and it was a hundred times more for them than it was for me, but it, it has a terrible toll on your family. Um, I can only imagine what their, you know, what their family life is like when they did tour after tour. Most of them did a tour every year, about six years. And that could, uh, and most of them also got children. So it's a, it is a huge. It's right to respect these people and not just you know, write them. In fact, most people in Australia, especially most TNT viewers, always say to me, um, "Who are we?" to second-guess the decisions of soldiers on the front line. And all of that is true. Uh, but saying that, the, the key thing, I guess, about the Ben Robert Smith cases is that the key witnesses against him uh, were not Afghans and they were not um, they were not journalists. They were other SAS soldiers, people who were just as brave and who had done, taken just many risks for their country and been on just as many missions. So I wasn't there. I can't comment on it. The evidence was um, was pretty strong. I think the the witnesses against him, their evidence was tested by, uh, you know, some of Australia's uh, best barristers and, and, and the judge uh, accepted their evidence. Um, I don't think he's going to jail anytime, Harry, and I, I guess it's good to remember that Ben Robert Smith sued the newspapers. So they said he was a bad dude. He said, basically, how dare you say that? <laughs> like all good information. And he started the action and the judge said, well, actually, I think the newspaper articles were, well, at least they weren't ridiculous. They were based on credible evidence from uh, people who were there uh, and their evidence wasn't, uh, wasn't shaken in cross-examination. So... I know people have got different opinions on it. That that is great. I mean, it's great to respect our soldiers. I will never, um, I'll never uh, quibble with that. Uh, people that that put their uh, lives on the line uh, for this country should generally be honoured. If I have to choose between them or the generals sitting back in Canberra or the politicians, I'm always going to choose um, the soldier. But um, Will be interested to see. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty opaque for the this legal appeal, and it's very legalistic, and it's all about legal standards and blah blah blah. So, um, uh, I don't, I don't think it can really predict one of the. You, the judges very rarely say anything that which give anything away because they're not allowed to. But one judge did say something yesterday, which did give a little bit of the climate. Um, uh, what the combat indicator, as the military would call it, she said <laughs> to Ben Robert Smith, senior counsel, she said, you've spoken for 45 minutes and all you've done is told us things we already know. How much longer are you going to go on for? <laughs> now, that's a bad sign. When the judge says that to you, <laughs> it's not looking that good. But, um you know, that's why he pays. He, I think the, the the truthful answer to that would have been, I'm going to go on, Your Honour, for as long as Mr Stokes' money keeps <laughs> coming in the back door. I'm going to keep talking. 
Uh, so there you go. And, you know, in some ways it's a real mateship story. Kerry Stokes backs Ben Robert Smith and and he, he, he will back him till the ends of the earth, which in some ways is quite, that's quite, that's quite wonderful, um, the story of mateship. Um and the other, some people would say it's it's the opposite. That at some point you'd have to say, look, the uh, other, you know, the stories just don't add up. But uh, as I said, everyone should make up their own mind, read the evidence, decide for yourself. I'm not, I'm certainly never going to tell anybody what they should think. Um, and it's great just to, at least the great thing about TNT audiences is we do make up our own mind. People do have opinions based on their values. Um, and not what uh, some commentator has told them to think, which yes. I think is great. Yeah. yeah, mate, that's very much the case. And again, as you reminded people, this thing—it's not—it's uh, not him being criminally assessed. It's him taking on the newspapers, saying you've made some allegations about me. I refute these things. He was found—you uh, know—he's now appealing that. But again, um, as you pointed out when you were talking, that even if this is to be unsuccessful, A, he'll appeal again, and B, even if he was to again be unsuccessful in his appeal, this is unlikely to lead to any kind of uh, criminal proceedings, yeah? Yeah, yeah, he won't be going to jail. And I nor do I think he should in the sense you, there's absolutely nothing to be gained to be putting uh, our former soldiers in jail. But um Yes, at the most, it's a little bit of an ego uh, de deflation. He took the, the newspapers to uh, to court. He lost, but yeah, he's the last time I heard he was in Bali. You know, having a holiday, he'll be in. Um, you know, he it has he won't. He's not going to jail over this. It's it, it's it's a it's a him trying to, as you say, put down allegations made against him. He wasn't able to do that, um, but he's a walking around a free man. Last I knew, he was he had a big job in Channel Seven. He'll probably continue with that. Yeah, and he's certainly got a, a very strong following online. A lot of supporters. So twenty thousand, twenty thousand at least. So yeah, that's not too bad, and probably more. But yeah, yeah, twenty exactly. It's got a very strong following. Now you so. you weren't in the courtroom, but and I don't like to ask people to speculate. But I mean, if, if I'm going to ask anybody, I'm going to ask you. Um, you know, how do you see this particular appeal going? Uh, I don't think he'll win. Um, I, I, I he was he was lucky or unlucky. Um, as the gods have it, the judge uh, Anthony Pasenko, um was pretty meticulous and and he wrote i think it was a 900 page judgment or something it, it, it was a it was a work of art where it, it took a long time to do it nine months or something and um uh it would have they would have known because kerry stokes is is, is in, incredibly the judge they would have known there was going to be an appeal um not that he was not a meticulous judge anyway, but I, I think I, I've, I follow the first case pretty closely and I think it was pretty good. The problem is he's got to try to say, because there were there were three major murders, of, as, according to the judge, and uh, you can't just shake. He's got to, they've got to shake, say the judge was mistaken on one on one of these murders with the, with the standard of evidence he applied. Okay, they might be successful on that. But that is not enough to get an appeal because what about the other two? And it'll be very hard to shake, um, uh, get the appeal judges to say, oh, well, the judge was wrong 
Uh, his summary of the evidence, his weighing of the evidence was wrong in three separate cases with three sets of group of evidence. Um, they have this thing called contextual truth where the judge, and this happened in the original and trial. David, we've, we've got about 15 seconds. Oh, well. <laughs> I know how watching. time flies. I don't know the answer. It's, it's like horse racing, but I, I, I think the papers, the newspapers were going to win this appeal, but let's see. It'll be very interesting to follow. I mean, who could I have asked who was better qualified than, of course, military lawyer himself, Major David McBride, and one of our fellow commentators here at TNT. Thank you, David, again, as always. And, of course, everybody, stay around. Uh, we've got Sonia Poulton coming up here at TNT right after this. We'll catch you tomorrow.